Hi, Journey. Great to be with every single one of you today, especially if you're a guest, maybe here for the first or second time. We're really honored to have you. I don't know about you, but I'm still sort of buzzing from last weekend, Easter weekend around here. Uh, Oakland talked about a few highlights, and I just want to say that the thing that has me buzzing, the thing that's most exciting, isn't just that the Easter egg hunt was packed, or just that we had you know, around 3,400 or so people here, or that better than 60 folks told us that they were making decisions to follow Jesus last weekend, or that hundreds and hundreds of you really served your heads off last weekend. That's all amazing, and God gets all the praise and all the credit for all of that, certainly. But I just gotta say that what pumps me up the most is just really how well you invited last weekend. Like that's what's most exciting to me. Uh, back in the day when Journey first started, you know, seven plus years ago, and, and really for the last seven years, we'd send these uh, invitation postcards, right? We'd drop 40,000 postcards. We'd do one in the fall, one around Easter, and sort of randomly invite people. And I think that was fine. I think those served us well for a season. But I'm glad that we're in this new season when we're getting more and more and more involved in spiritual conversations with the people in our lives. Out of that conversation then might come an invitation to bring someone with you to one of these weekend worship gatherings, but only when it's appropriate. It might not be the first thing you talk about in that spiritual conversation with somebody, and I, I love that. It might be like step 75 of a 100 steps or so. And uh, I think what I love most of all about this sort of new era, new season, is because that inviting kind of spiritual conversation kind of lifestyle really catapults us into living the kind of lives that God invites and really expects, challenges us to be living. So all of you who invited, way to go. Way to walk by faith, way to be an inviter. You don't have to stop with Easter either. You can just keep right on inviting. I also have to say that I'm really amped for this uh, Covenant and Kingdom message series that we're kicking off, launching today. We're asking everybody to get and read this book, anybody who's part of the Journey Church family, which by the way, uh, you decide whether or not you're a part of the Journey Church family, right? I don't decide that. You decide that. You sort of self-select in to the Journey Church family, and so if you're here, well, you are a part of the Journey Church family. That means we want everybody to get and read this book. It's very aptly titled, well, Covenant and Kingdom. Isn't that creative? Uh, it's written by our friend, a guy named Mike Breen, who leads an organization that's coaching us through this process of becoming more and more a church living on and engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, I first started talking about missional communities just over a year ago now, and since that time, I've gotten countless emails, heard countless of you ask me, Brian, what can we do to get involved in the missional community emphasis that Journey is moving into? And here's really one of the answers. I've said several things along the way, but for now the answer is get this book, read this book, engage with us on these six weekends, the next six weekends, because really if you'll do that, you'll be on the bleeding edge of what's happening around journey related to discipleship and mission, and so you'll be getting the biblical and theological foundation for everything we're gonna be working on and towards for the next couple of decades, if Jesus tarries that long, it starts with this book. Get it? Read along with us. There's this little bookmark that has, you know, read this page by this week and that sort of thing. There's stations out in the lobby where you can buy these books. They're 20 bucks. I know we frustrated lots of you last weekend because we did not take debit or credit cards last weekend. Well. We take them now, so no more frustration, no more excuses. Uh, there's people out there who can take your debit and credit cards. 
And I wanna say too, if money's a deal for you right now and you're like, I don't have 20 bucks of discretionary income to buy a book, don't let the money be a deal. Don't let the money be a deal. Just pay what you can. If it's five, that's fine. If it's zero, that's fine. Uh, we'll help you with the rest. If you're like, I'm gonna take a book now and I'm gonna pay in, okay, fine, that's just fine. Maybe some of the rest of us will throw 25 or 30 bucks in for our book and help those who don't have 20 bucks for a book right now. You know, Like, read this book. Don't let that be an excuse or as I like to say, an obstacle. Don't let it be an obstacle for you. Uh, I don't think you'll regret reading this book. I think God will start, that's not good grammar, by the way, I know that. I'm just messing with you. Uh, and I think that God's gonna use this stuff to begin to transform us. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this series is because I think it's really, really helpful for our faith in Jesus Christ if and when we can ever see the big picture of God and the big picture of scripture. I think it's just vital to our faith in Jesus Christ if we can sort of get the big picture perspective of all of that, and so often we don't ever get to see the big picture of the Bible, do we? Or the big picture of God for that matter. Much of the time we spend looking through a microscope at this verse or that verse or even this chapter or even this book and we see lots and lots and lots of detail through the microscope but looking through a microscope causes us to very often miss the big picture but I'm here to tell you today that there's absolutely a big picture to the Bible and it's this and it's really very simple it's DNA DNA is the big picture of the Bible just like every single cell in our bodies and every single organism on planet earth has DNA this double spiral that runs through every single cell. The Bible has a DNA to it and it looks something like this. One strand of the DNA is covenant and you can see it weaves and the other strand of the DNA of the scripture is kingdom. Another way you can look at this or think about this or talk about this is to say relationship and responsibility. Relationship and covenant are interchangeable terms. Kingdom and responsibility are interchangeable terms. Another way to say it, if you'd like to, is being and doing. Being is covenant, doing is responsibility, doing is kingdom. And those two strands of DNA run from the start of the Bible to the very end of the Bible and every single place in between. Today we're going to focus on the covenant side of the equation, the covenant strand. Next week we'll focus on the kingdom strand of DNA. The lens through which we're going to view covenant today is Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. But before we get into Genesis 15, I'd like just to sort of review the story of God up through Genesis 15, the story of God, the story of humanity, up to Genesis 15. Here's where it starts. God speaks in Genesis chapter one, doesn't he? Chapters one and two, actually. God speaks. And well, what do you know? Creation, this is amazing, comes into existence in response to God's speaking. God speaks and creation happens. Whoa. God then creates humanity's first parents. What are their names? Adam and Eve. That's exactly right. Three of you are awake. Good job, Adam and Eve. And God speaks to them. And doggone it, they disobey him. They sin. Sin enters the world. Like double-barreled bummer. 
It was about 2,000 years later, God speaks again, this time to a man named Abram. And God tells Abram, look, bud, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your homeland, which, by the way, was a place called Babylon. I want you to leave your mom, dad, your family, everything you know. And I just want you to walk by faith. I want you to trust me every single day. You go, Abram. And Abram's like, where? And God says, I'll show you where. You just follow. Wow. What's more remarkable about that story is that God promises Abram and his wife, whose name was what? So it's kind of a trick question that became her name, but her name was actually Sarai at this time in history, right? So you're, you're like partly right, good job, you're partly right. She was barren up to this point in time. She could have no children. And God, in the midst of this sending, inviting, calling, challenging, leave everything you know, God says, look, Abram and Sarai, you're going to inherit land, you're going to inherit blessing, and just to top it all off, you're gonna have a son. And they're like, seriously? Like, we've been trying to have a son for years and years, and that ain't happening, and God's like, well, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And they're like, okay, remarkably, they step out in great faith, and they go, They believe God, they walk by faith, and they go. So that's where we are in history to this point. We're gonna pick up the story, Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse one. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings, right? Because he's heard God say this sort of thing before. What good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Like you told me I was gonna have a son, but I ain't got a son yet. And since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Abram is realizing he's getting up in years, he could die any day, and he's like, I still don't have a kid, God, and so this, all this stuff that I've got is gonna be inherited by my servant, and I don't like that, because you told me I'm gonna have an heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you, remember Abram, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside, said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. He's sort of poking fun at Abram, right? Like, you can't count very high, can you, Abram? And Abram's like, well, no, I don't know. There's so many of them, right? And God says, look, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. He doesn't even have one yet, and he's looking up at the, How's that gonna work? And Abram, now check this out. This is one of the most foundational verses in the entire Bible right here. And Abram believed the Lord. Not much complexity to it. I I believe you, I trust you, okay. Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that's Babylon by the way, to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? I need some certainty here, God. I need some certainty, please. And Abram says, God, I hear you making this promise, these promises, land, kid, blessing, all this stuff, but ah, I still got questions and And Abram's real bold, isn't he, about asking those questions. God says, 
let me just remind you, come outside, gives him this fantastic sermon illustration, that, you know, look at the stars, Abram. Could it get any more clear than that? You're going to have that many offspring. And Abram's going like, I see all those stars, but really, like, I don't see it. I don't see it. Now the thing about God is he's God, right? He doesn't owe anybody anything. He doesn't need to show Abram anything. He didn't need to take him outside the tent and have him look up at the stars. Didn't need to do that, but he does because that's who God is at his core. He's loving, he's patient, he's kind, and so he does that sort of thing for us. And then look what he does next. And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat. Now, this sounds foreign to you and I. Like, you're like, that's weird. What does that have to do? Bring me a heifer, you know? But for Abram, this was like, yes, and I'll explain why it's yes in a minute. A three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him, to God, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half, and it's kind of a weird deal about why you don't cut the birds in half in Leviticus. There's this law in Leviticus in your Bible that says don't cut the birds in half and nobody knows why you're not supposed to cut the birds in half so you know don't cut the birds in half. Never cut the birds (laughs) in half. Some vultures swoop down to eat the carcasses but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down Abram fell into a deep sleep And a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Abram's like, tell me some good news, God. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, Abram, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Abram has to be wondering like, God, what is my, like how do, What's gonna happen to me? And God sort of throws him a bone and says, Abram, you're gonna die in your easy chair, feet up with remote control in your hand. Ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land where we're standing. For the sins of the Amorites, I mean like not where we're standing, but where they were standing. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch picture this in your mind's eye, pass between the halves of the carcasses, all those dead animals that he had laid, they passed between the halves of the carcasses, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and even the Jebusites. I felt you get nervous because you were wondering, can he really say all those words? <laughs> Third time's a charm. And you see that whole scene, this covenant-making, animal-killing scene, that's precisely everything that Abram is asking for. He's asking God, I want a covenant. I need a covenant because you see, a covenant says that what's been promised has been secured. What's been promised has been made permanent. Two parties 
become one party. Independent identities are shed, new identities are united one to another. And any time you enter into a covenant, identity sharing means that all of the other party's resources are accessible one to another. It's a two-way deal. They belong entirely to one another. Covenant. Two becoming one. Now we don't do covenant very much or very often in our culture anymore. There's sort of one vestige of covenant making left in our day. What is it? Marriage. And they're kind of after that one, aren't they? They're kind of after that one. But marriage is absolutely and entirely a covenant. Independent identities are shed. Couples find together a common identity shared by both of them, and they are one. They share names. They share families. They share home. They even share bank accounts, and that's really sharing isn't it? Two become one. And Abram's like, God, I need that with you. And God says to Abram, and Abram, I want that with you. He wants the covenant between him and God to be sealed because he needs some certainty, some assurance. And so when God speaks those words, bring me a heifer, it meant something fantastic was coming. Abraham is like dancing. And so we read the story. Abram goes and he collects all those animals and he slaughters them out in the field and he cuts them open from nose to tail except the birds. He puts out the pieces in the field and, and it's kind of like this aisle way of blood and gore, right? Kind of like the aisle way. You guys are one half of the heifer and you guys are the other half. On back it goes, figuratively speaking, of course. And so there's Abram. He's just sort of waiting. Now he's exhausted, isn't he? Why is he exhausted? Well, he gathered, killed, and butchered a cow, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon all by himself, right? Of course he was exhausted. So Abram falls into a deep sleep. The Lord appears. Interestingly, the Lord chooses to show up in this smoking fire pot, which would have been this little masonry kettle of sorts with a lid on top of it that held the burning embers from the last fire you had. Why would they have those? So that you could always start a fire, right? There were no strike anywhere matches or matches of any kind back in that day. And then alongside this, this smoking fire pot is this torch, probably lit by the fire pot. And so you sort of picture it in your mind's eye, this fire pot and this torch, they're suspended in space. And the fire pot and the torch, they pass down this aisleway of dead animal carcasses. And we're like, that's weird. But to Abram, that was everything. Because that was God's way of communicating to Abram that they were forever going to be one. That God and Abram were forever going to be one. They're united, they're sharing identities. All of God's resources are available to Abram and vice versa. God the strong one confers grace upon Abram the weak one and grants Abram the right to oneness. And it's nothing even close to the relationship that a slave has with their masters. It's nothing like that. It isn't an employee-employer power relationship. It's oneness. God and Abram are one. It's covenant. And it's God saying to Abram, I'm going to get this. I'm going to make good on my promise even if it kills me, and if it doesn't, and I don't perform, well then you can put me to death. I am committing myself to you, period. And what's true is that when God loves someone, 
they're absolutely and entirely loved. When God forgives someone, they're absolutely and entirely forgiven. God says, look, Abram, salvation and forgiveness and grace, even the coming of Jesus is fully dependent upon me, God says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anyone does. Jesus is coming. Sin is forgiven. People are loved. People are going to be saved, God says, because I'm great. And no matter what, lives are going to be transformed. I promise I promise, Abram. And that promise is our promise as well. And God says, look, when you see the sort of aisle way of carcasses and blood, that's me, God, saying to you, even if, get the visual picture here, the foreshadowing that's in view, even if I, God, need to shed my own blood, see a little hint of Jesus, hear a little hint of Jesus in that. I am absolutely going to make entirely sure that my people are loved, are saved, are forgiven. Well, what do you know? God in the form of Jesus Christ, God the Son, comes and he sheds his, spills his own blood to fulfill the demands of the covenant for us. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sin. He gives us all of his righteousness. What do we do? We trust him. We trust him, which means that we, to this very day, are in covenant relationship with God that is absolutely and entirely secure because God isn't going to leave us. He isn't going to forsake us. He is living and trustworthy and true and good and loving and patient and merciful and kind. It's who he is. God pledges himself to Abram, and God pledges himself to us. And that means that everything that God has available is available to you and I. Everything that God has is available to you and I. Everything God has access to, you and I, as covenant partners with God, now have access to. That means as well that we have freedom, complete freedom, to talk with and to God about anything and everything that he is doing. Do you see how Abram talks to God? God's showing him all this stuff, and Abram's like, but God, but God, because they're one, covenant oneness. You and I bear the name of God himself. We share his identity. We're one with him. We can talk with and to God in great, all confidence, as a matter of fact. And the narrative rolls on Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee, this is everything Abram wants, I need a guarantee, God, to give you countless descendants. It's sort of a reiteration of the covenant that God made with the animal Iowway thing. And God says, Abram, you have a part in this as well. This is a two-way street. The covenant relationship deal is a two-way street. Will you, Abram, devote yourself wholeheartedly and fully to me, God says. All of you. All of you. I want all of you, Abram, God says. God's asking Abram to live in connection with him in the same way God was hoping Adam and Eve would live in connection with him. And it's the very same thing that God is asking of every single one of us. Will you live with God with that kind of connection? 
God's requiring of Abram the human responsibility within this covenant. Just like any relationship, it's a two-way street. Both parties do their part. God initiates, Abram responds. God speaks, we listen. God commands, we obey. Our identity as God's covenant partners is or at least ought to be reflected in how we live our lives. We're one with God, which means that our identity comes way ahead of and way before our behavior, see. We can't ever prove to God that we're his children just by doing good things, and lots of us try that. We're like, well, I I just gotta earn my way to God, and so I'm gonna build this great big bridge, and so we set about this self-improvement, life improvement project. I'm just gonna be good all the way to God, and plank after plank after plank after plank after plank, and many of us, after a whole lifetime of that, go like, you know, this ain't working. And God says, you're exactly right, because that isn't how this goes. Your right actions, your right behavior, your God-honoring Behavior comes out of a right understanding of who we are as covenant partners of God. We do good things because of who we are. Good things bubble up out of we who are the children of God. We do good things because they reflect the identity of God himself inside of us. Our identity is the seedbed out of which grows right behavior. And as that happens, that's called spiritual growth. Covenant partnership, covenant relationship with God makes forward progress. The more we trust God, the more we faithfully obey, he initiates and we respond step by step. It's like pedaling a bicycle. And that's everything that's going on with Abram in Genesis 17. God says, Abram, remember, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna change your life. Here's what I want you to do, Abram. I want you to just walk with me. We just walk by faith, just walk with me. Go with me, stay with me, don't run ahead. Just stay right here. It's just like what I'm always telling our four youngest kids. Whenever we go to the store, whenever we go to eat, whenever we're walking across large expanses of asphalt crossing streets and so, I'm like, hey guys, stay with me. If Dan is with me, I say, stay with us. You just stay close to us, walk with us. We love you, all those other people, They don't even like you necessarily, so just stay with us. It's safe here. It's good here. We're going to Costco, and it's like the promised land. We're going to take this empty cart. We're going to fill it to overflowing. Wow. Just stay with us. And that's exactly everything that God's telling Abram. You stick very, very close to me. You walk with me. And sometimes some people are like, oh, it's just such a burden to walk with God. Oh, the drudgery and the toil, it's, so uh-uh. Like, it is our delight and privilege to walk with God, to stay close to him. And you know what happens when we stay close to God? We begin to do things as if it were the very hands of God himself doing them. We begin to walk in the very way that God walks. We begin to talk in the very way that God talks. And then look what happens. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. He responds to God's directive. He's like, okay, I'm in. He falls face down on the ground, and then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. 
Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. God did such a transformational work in Abram's life that he had to get a new name. That happens to some of us sometimes. He's not Abram anymore, he's Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. God did that. God's doing that. And look at what God says next, verse 9 of 17. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. And you had no idea that was where we were going, did you? Like, really, there? Yeah. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but the servants born in your household get this privilege as well, and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased get this privilege as well. All must be circumcised. You don't circumcise, you're out of the covenant. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be, interesting pun here, cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Abraham, this is a permanent covenant. And just so you're aware, you're constantly reminded that this is a permanent deal. I have a scar in mind for you. And Abraham's going like, a scar? Abraham's thinking like, I I heard about this guy named Noah once and he got a rainbow. Can I have a (laughs) rainbow? Because just so you know, like there weren't razor blades and there wasn't scalpels in this day. Like this is a flint knife deal we're talking about. Flint knife deal. And, and, and God, a scar there, really. Like I, I'm pretty attached to that. Maybe like a fingernail instead or I'll cut my hair any fashion you'd like. And God says, uh-uh, there, there. And it's very, very interesting that God chooses there to scar, isn't it? And God chose that part of the male anatomy to be the remembrance of the covenant, I think, because what's true is when that particular part of the male anatomy is devoted to God, the whole guy is devoted to God. And you know this to be true. When that part of the male anatomy is devoted to God, what do you know? The whole guy is devoted to God and God wants all of us, all of us. He wanted all of Abraham and he wants all of us to this very day. And then God does this. And God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name isn't any longer going to be Sarai. From now on her name will be Sarah and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Abraham and the boys, they're alone in the circumcision deal, but Abraham is not alone in the name change deal. Sarai becomes Sarah because of God's transformation, his work in her heart and in her life. Now, 
over to Genesis 22. And this is where we're going to finish. I'll finish with Genesis 22, just the first two verses, and then the gospel invitation, and then we're going to be done. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. God says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac. Just in case there's any question about which son I'm talking about here, Abraham, your only son, yes, Isaac, that one whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and what? Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. And you gotta read through the whole narrative sometime. It is one of the most amazing stories of faith you will ever encounter. And I wanna just drill right to the crux of this because we don't have much time. You see, the covenant relationship with God goes both ways. It goes two ways. Abraham, he receives all of the blessings. He receives all of the resources that God has. And it also means that God receives all of the resources that Abraham has all the way to the son, yes, that son, yes, the one you love so much. His name is Isaac, that one. Whoa. God's going, look, Abraham, you already have everything that's mine. Now I want everything of yours, and everything of yours is really tied up in your son, Isaac. And as I reflect on this story, I have four sons. Four. I don't just have one. I have four sons. And I could not do what Abraham did with his only son. Dads of sons, you probably have a similar sentiment, don't you? I could not do what Abraham did. Oh my gosh, and if you read the story, I'll sort of spoil it for you. Abraham's like raising up the knife. Isaac is tied to the altar and like right in the, nick of time God says ah ah wait 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 okay you passed the test there's a ram all tangled up in the shrubbery over there and right now Jesus is saying God is speaking to all of us look you're my covenant partner we're one that means you have everything that's mine I want every single thing that's yours God says I want you to wake up in the morning, God says, and I want you to take up your cross. Every single day, take up your cross. And every single day, give up your old life and live the new life that I died and I rose from the dead to give you. It's a two-way covenant relationship. We're one in this. You get the life of God, and God says, I want you, all of you. And he says, look, if you'll give me your everything, you'll get the privilege of fully living out every single thing that it means to live in covenant relationship with me. You just stay right here. Stay with me, God says. Just stay with me. Walk with me. Trust me. I got such good stuff. Just stay with me. Covenant oneness. God with you, you with God every single moment of every single day. Take your stuff and set it aside, would you please? And 
I just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and get alone with the Lord. As you move into a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord, I just have a few questions I want to walk through with you. You might scroll through all of these with me as we go, or you might just say, you know, I just need to sort of camp out on that one, and you're welcome to do that. First question is, are you one with God? Are you one with Him? And if you are, is your life being lived out of your covenant identity with Him? Sometimes we have a tendency to live out really what I'll call a, a fraudulent identity. We're one with God. We're supposed to be living out of that oneness with God. His identity, the seedbed out of which everything in our life comes, but we're living out this other deal. A fraudulent identity, an identity we were never made for, was never intended for us. Another question, is your identity in Him dictating your behavior or are you just trying to behave your way into Christianness? Is your identity in God dictating everything you do or are you just trying to be good and prove to God that you're good enough? Next question, how freed up do you feel to talk with God about anything and everything that he's doing in your life? Are you like, no, nah, I could never ask God that question because it's like disrespectful or you see how God is having to like repeat himself again and again and again with Abraham. And that's how God asks that we would talk to him like with that level of candor like God I, I'm struggling here I don't see it here could you show me please next question are you accessing the full store of God's resources God says look as my covenant partner everything I have is yours everything I have is yours Sometimes we don't live that way, do we? We're like, no, some of those things that God has, they're just reserved for superhero Christians and the spiritual elite. And so God says, it's your right to access the full store of my resources. By virtue of the covenant of oneness that he's entered into with you through his son, Jesus Christ, by his son, Jesus Christ. It's all available. It's all available.
And then some of you, I would expect Jesus is inviting you into covenant relationship with him for the very first time. You've never crossed the line of faith up to this point in your life. And today, God's been knocking on the door of your heart saying, you know, it's time for you and I to be one. I love you. I have salvation in mind for you. I have forgiveness on hand for you. Some of you got saying, hey, why don't you come on home? And you can do that right now. You can step into covenant oneness with God through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by praying along with me. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, yes. I'm saying yes to you today. I'm a sinner. I'm incapable of just good behavioring my way to you. I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. And so with all the faith that I can muster in this moment, I receive gratefully your gift of salvation. I trust you as Lord. I trust you as Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me how to live. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being buried. And thank you for rising. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. I love you, Jesus. Here I am. Here's my everything. Covenant oneness. And if you're stepping into that covenant oneness with God today, he says that's the biggest deal ever. The biggest deal of your entire life is you stepping into covenant oneness with the God of the universe, just like Abram did. And if you did that, one of our favorite things to do around here is acknowledge that you made that decision. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. It's you, me, and God looking on right now. If you prayed with me just then to step into covenant oneness with him, would you be really brave right now? And would you just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and let me affirm your decision with you? You can do that right now. You're saying, yes, I'm stepping into covenant oneness with God today, right here, right now, today, yeah, right there, yes, way to go, and over there, yeah, absolutely, and well, yeah, you too, and you too, yes. And you, absolutely, covenant oneness with the God of the universe. All because of Jesus. Yeah, you in the back, absolutely. Not because of anything you did, it's everything he did. He paid the price, he took the penalty. Yeah, you, yes, way to go, yeah. So God, we just confess that we want to live in covenant oneness with you forever and always. God, that means we're going to be bold with the boldness that you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we want our identity in you to define our relationship, to define our behaviors. We don't want to just be good behaving people. We want to be shaped and ordered by you. And God, that your work in us 
be so compelling that your words through us would be so inviting that many, many other people would hear and respond and see you and enter into the covenant oneness you intend for them as well, God. Not because of us, but just simply because of you and who you are and what you're doing and everything that Jesus did. It's you we worship, it's you we adore, it's you we want more than anything else, God. You can have us, all of us. We avail ourselves 